taking care of us. Now let's take care of them. Wear a mask when you go outside to stop the spread of COVID-19. It protects you and it protects everyone around you. The only way we're going to get through this is together. Now let's mask up, Philly. Home of the happy hour. hour. With Sincerely Sarita. This is Word Radio. 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD Philadelphia. Streaming live at wordradio.com and on the Word Radio app. The views and opinions expressed by the guests, listeners, and hosts of any program on Word Radio do not necessarily reflect those of ownership, management, or advertisers of this station. Another edition of the Chris Murray Report on WURD. Man, do we have a lot to cover today. Um, First of all, we are in another stage where we have no actual live sports. And so I hope you've been enjoying all the reruns. I mean, this week they actually showed um, the Eagles and the Packers from the 2003 uh, NFC Divisional Playoffs when Eagles fell behind five. Brett Favre and the Packers, 14-0, and McNabb brought him back to, to that win. And it was, uh, you know, it was good, good to see, good, good to watch old Donovan running around again. He was really good in that game, and all the announcers, oddly enough, said that he was really brilliant in that game, and he was. I mean, he brought the team back, and um, a lot of people said that McNabb couldn't come through in the clutch, and I thought he did in that situation. That was the infamous, or the, not infamous, but the famous, 14, I mean, uh, fourth and uh, fourth and 26, uh, McNabb to Freddie Mitchell, although Green Bay fans would call it infamous. But, you know, that was one of the memorable plays in Eagles history. Well, in this time of the pandemic, just because there are no live sports, we will be probably we would be in the middle of the NBA playoffs right now, probably headed towards the uh, Eastern semifinals. And hopefully the Sixers probably would have gotten to that point. Who knows the way they played coming into that uh, break. Um, You never know. So from that standpoint, um, you know, we we have we have sports now. We have we hear the different things that the athletes are doing around the city to help with COVID-19 efforts. And I hope everybody is, is still being cautious. Because, you know, Major League Baseball and I think some of the other leagues are talking about trying to play limited games or or games without fans. To be honest, in my humble opinion, I do not think they should be playing any sports until we have some semblance of control over the outbreak. There are more cases. We're going to reach probably about 100,000 deaths in America probably by the beginning of next month. And uh, we really need to do a better job as a country of dealing with this. Unfortunately, the president of the United States is an idiot, and I'm uh, and I'm feel free to say that um, on the air and everything. But um, that's where we are right now. I'm still not sure. But 
doesn't mean that there aren't sports news, sports news going on. One of the things, and today is open phone lines today. I mean, I, I will, you know, if anybody wants to call in, the numbers, first of all, the numbers to call are 215-634-8065-1866-361-0900 if you're calling outside the Delaware Valley. And um, I want everybody's input today because I'm going to talk about a number of things that, you know, and I, and I, have, them, I have them listed here on my pack because I'm still a reporter and I have these things listed here. One, um, I want to talk about this recent news um, regarding NFL coaching and minority coaches, so-called minority black coaches, black co- coaches of color. And the NFL has an idea, and I wonder what everybody thinks of it. Um, that if if the owners and I'll and I'll read this out because I have it I also have it written down on my iPad and um, a couple of things that uh, a couple of things I want to go over with this uh, with this new rule that the NFL has proposed they want to give draft incentives to teams that have uh, minority coaches okay in other words they want to do an addendum to the uh, Rooney rule and they want to do a, excuse me, they want to, they want to, they want to do some changes where to give teams incentives to hire uh, black coaches to which I think at this point in the game, I mean, you know, I I have, I have mixed emotions about, but I want to see what the crowd thinks of that. Here's what would happen just to incentivize teams to, to, to hire minority coaches. They will require the, Ro- the Rooney rule to uh, coordinate a position such as defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, along with the head coaching positions. It would also, from, from the end of the regular season through March 1st, disallow teams from blocking assistant coaches from interviewing with, for teams other, you know, for, for um, other teams for bona fide coordinating positions. Um, and any dispute regarding the bona fides of such position will be settled by Roger Goodell. They would award a fifth round compensatory draft pick to any team or any team uh, minority coach or front office member leaves to become a head coach or general manager for another team. They would award a fourth round compensatory pick to any team that hires a person of color as its quarterback coach if if it retains that coach beyond one season. Okay, any team that hires a minority head coach will move up six spots from an allocated third round pick during the draft during that coach's second season. Any team that hires a coach of color as a senior football executive, i.e. general manager or president of football operations, would move up 10 spots in the third round of the draft prior to that executive's second season. If the aforementioned coach or executive remains with the team for a third season, that team would move up five spots in the fourth round during during the draft pre, uh, during the draft prior to that third season. Okay, so these changes are geared to get more black coaches into the coaching ranks. Okay, do you agree with that? Do you do you agree that there should be this kind of incentive, or is it an insult? Uh, my man Rob Parker of Fox Sports said this, this is this is basically an insult in the sense that you know you should just you know consider these guys on GP, okay? The fact that you have five coaches, the fact that Eric Bieniemy, who was the offensive coordinator of the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, did not get uh, didn't get really didn't get hired, wasn't that hot assistant. You know, when they had Sean McVay, who coaches, now coaches the Rams, he was the hot assistant. Okay? We also talked about Deuce Staley locally. Let's bring it back home. Deuce Staley um, was, uh, was a candidate, should have been a candidate offensive coordinator position. Why not Deuce Staley? Why not? Why not Deuce? I think Deuce has done a wonderful job with the running backs. This team has been a running back by the last three or four years, and Deuce, you know, Deuce's running backs, you know, I look at Miles Sanders' development. Every running back that they brought in, you know, really helped. The and I think that they have a good coach. You know, I was funny thing. I was watching that game the other, watching Deuce Staley. Boy, I wish they would have had. I wish they would have kept him around. 
when the Eagles made their first Super Bowl uh, appearance against the Patriots. I mean, that's the guy, but he's been a good coach. And the thing is, they tell you to move up in the ranks, so to speak. They tell you to move up, but yet, you know, when you move up, they don't they don't hire you. And folks don't hire you. Another area, this is not this is semi related to minority coaching, and this is kinda of, kinda of came up in Twitter conference I had with my man OG Spivey uh, yesterday regarding um, talk show hosts, sports radio talk show hosts. Um, a lot of you who listen to this broadcast and who catch me on the weekends, uh, you you probably listen to WIP and The Fanatic, those other stations. And I'm not trying to mention them just to give them publicity. But one of the things that that my man OJ and some and, and a bunch of other others of us have brought up, um, most notably a former WRD uh, host, uh, Al Butler, um, basically talked about was the fact that in sports talk radio, interesting observation, ladies and gentlemen, let me and I, and I've got to say this with a little bit of fanfare. I am I am probably the I think I'm the only sports talk show host in this town that's African American and never played in the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NBA or had anything to do with the NBA i.e. in in in, in the uh, in the case of Sonny Hill and I and I respect all those people's athletes Ike Reese and others who have jobs um, Hollis Thomas I think uh, who have jobs on the air. And that's fine, that's great, but the uh, but everybody else in sports talk radio um, on the mainstream channels, they're all white. And they didn't play it down in the NFL. Some worked at some worked for daily newspapers in this town. Some worked went to work their way up in the ranks through broadcasting. But the thing is for a lot of African Americans on the radio on the air who've been here for a long time. For a lot of those people, we don't get those kinds of jobs in sports talk radio. You have to be a former player. You have to be a part, as Howard Cosell once said, of the jockocracy. To say it in the way he would say it. And the thing is, is that you cannot tell me. You cannot tell me that you can't find enough qualified black uh, sports, you know, sports talk people, and not in this town. I know too many people, and myself included. What about my man, my man who used to work here, Keaton Nichols? Why, why not a lot of those guys? Okay, but you know, but that's always been the thing, which is why sports talk radio is mostly white, mostly male. In fact, all maybe all male. Um, with the, with the, with the, with with some notable exec- exceptions, and they are exceptions to I me. Mean, a couple of white women, and so from that standpoint, you know, I like to talk about these things today. These are some other issues in sports. Um, I also want to talk about before I get to, I got get to my first caller. I also want to talk about the idea of Michael Jordan. We talked that Jordan special has been on the last episode, and it's been a riveting special. It's been riveting in a sense that Michael Jordan, you know, still draws a lot of ire from people. Last, last, the last, last episode, people talked to me. Jordan would berate people in practice. And people say, well, he's got those rings. But some people disagree. Another thing that's come up is that Jordan, basically the whole, you know, sneakers, Republicans buy sneakers. We may have touched on that a little bit last week. And. My thing with that is that I don't know if I expect athletes to get involved in every social issue, but it's always good when they do. And I want to get your thoughts. You all tell me, should athletes, I mean, do you look to athletes to be that kind of role model to to speak out like Colin Kaepernick, LeBron James? And I want to talk about LeBron James in a minute. But first, before I do anything, let me get to Fishman. Fishman, what's happening, man? Good morning. How you doing, brother? Fish man, I'm doing well. I'm doing okay. What's happening? Well, I want to uh, uh, shift gears into boxing. Okay. Uh, we talking. We talking about two legends, uh, one fifty three and one fifty seven, uh, attempting mm-hmm. to uh, exercise and bring themselves out of retirement. 
Um, Talking about Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. Yes, 153 and 157. Um, okay. I like to invoke the names. Uh, like uh, Cody Anderson says on this station, if you invoke the names, they live forever. Big Rob Murray, our family member and brother Sultan Ahmed's brother, he picked up Muhammad Ali from his last boxing bout uh, in Bahamas and brought it, uh, met him in Philadelphia at the International Airport and took him back home at the age of 38 or near 40. And mm-hmm. once they got home, uh, they were sitting in the living room, and this is recounted by uh, our brother, Big Rob Murray. He said he looked at his brother, his friend, his loved one, sitting in the living room after the after that bout, and he cried. And he just said, uh, Ali, why? Mm-hmm. He, said, he said, man, enough is enough. And, and um, Ali just, just, just said there, this is coming from Big Rob Murray, not from me. Right. He's, Ali just sat there, and he said, um, after he got finished his diatribe on Enough is Enough, he said the champ sat up in the chair and said, Hey, Rob. And he turned around, Rob. Has every has anybody ever gave you ten million dollars? Have a nice day, Chris. Hmm. Interesting story. That that is, you know. Thank first of all, Fishman. Thank you for the call. You know that that's an interesting story. Would you, in other words, if someone's paying and he's talking about, and I guess Rob, I guess the Fishman is talking about in reference to Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. Yeah. For $10 million, for $10 million to get beat in the ring like that, a lot of people, a lot of athletes, hey, you're always as good as, you know, as that final paycheck. But like a lot of people, and I can remember to that fight, I had a chance to go to that fight with my uncle and my brother, and I declined the invitation. I said, no, I don't want to. I mean, it was a close circuit between Larry Holmes and Ali, and... Much as I probably miss the camaraderie of my brother and my uncle, I, I, the reason why I didn't go to that fight with them was because I, couldn't, I, I could not stand to see Ali. I knew Ali was going to get killed in that ring. Now, not killed, but I knew <coughs> Ali was just going to be a punching bag for Larry Holmes. And I knew it was the end, and... If I had gone to that fight, if I had watched that fight, I would have cried like a baby. I'm not gonna lie. I ain't gonna lie because Ali, y'all know Ali was, you know, was larger than life to me. Okay, Diane from South Philadelphia, what's happening? How are you today? Good morning. A good day. I love your program, Mr. Murray. I love your program. Uh, I'm not a sports person, but I have three sons that play sports. One won a Maxwell Award in high school. And both of them played during a public league for football in high school. But you had the question, you asked the question, do we think, well, first of all, I think it's all racism, really, because it seems like to me the black uh, uh, athletes is the ones that bring in all the money. You know, our people bring in all the money. And I don't think it's fair to just have all white. And by the way, you're the best uh, sportcaster out there. I like, I love your program. And, um, Thank and you. I Michael Jordan, that. you know, I never was a fan of his because to me, mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong and it's something that I don't know, but it seemed like to me he never supported the black community. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Because I remember years ago he had a camp, a basketball camp, that cost $600 a week. But he didn't have no, like, everybody can't afford $600 a week, especially in our community. It seemed like he would have had, like, yep. some kind of center. I'm sorry. You say something, Chris? 
No, no, no. I was saying, no, you're right. You're right about that. You're right. Go on. I'm, I'm going to let you finish. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. And, and, and to me, it seemed like he didn't support. He looked down on our community. That's what it seemed to me. I can be wrong. But listen, he's got to realize, I don't care how rich he is, he's still in that black boat, okay? That white boat come up, they're not going to take him with them, you know? So he cannot forget where he comes from. And then I have something else to right. say, too. Something else I had to say. Mm. You asked a question. I forgot what question. Oh, should a black athlete speak out? Yes, they should speak out because it's not right with, you know, with how we are getting treated. Yes, and I respect LeBron James and all those that speak out. I'm so proud of LeBron James. Uh, proud of him. I don't know what to do. So, yes, a black athlete should speak out. Yeah, because they're in that same boat we are in. You know, I don't care how rich they are, they're still in that same boat. Wow. I, I would tend, I would tend to agree with you. Thank you for the call. You know, you're right. And I do think although in the case of Michael Jordan, we found out in the uh in the special and the in the big documentary that he did give Harvey Gantt um money for his election, but and Michael Jordan said that he just well, he didn't want to be a spokesman. And I would deal we gotta go to break. But I wanna deal with that when we when, it, when we come back. And uh, and I'm oh and another thing I want to talk about Tom Brady signed a petition with the Players Association, you know, you know, condemning the death of Ahmad Arbery. I want to get your get your thoughts on it as well. You're listening to ninety six point one FM, nine hundred AM, WRD, and the Chris Murray Report. We'll be right back. Support independent black media and join the forward movement now at 215-425-7875 or visit wordradio.com. Always Best Care is a great place to work. Flexibility. Leadership. Purpose. Great benefits. There's never a dull moment. Diversity. Inclusion. Compassion. We love our jobs. If you're looking for a great place to work, you can join our compassionate team green. You can apply online at TeamGreenABC.com or call 267 909 9248. Word TV. We're streaming live video of this conversation right now. Tune in on YouTube at On Word or on Facebook at Forward. Word TV. Black Talk Media. But the revolution will tune you in to WRD and the Chris Murray Report. <laughs> the legendary, the legendary Gil Scott Heron, man. I mean, you know, that guy, I mean, I don't know. I always wanted to do a show where I went to with people to do different parts of his spoken word poetry. Maybe we can do something like that. I don't know. All right. Back to back to the back to what we're talking about. So one of the things I was talking about before we went to commercial, um, one of the things I was talking about, whether or not black athletes should lend their lend their support, you know, to the different causes, because let me say this. I mean, and, and I'm thinking the idea I have, you know, the thing is black athletes sports for African-Americans has always been a form, has always been a form to showcase not only our skills, but uh, the injustice of inequality that we have in this society. Because there's always been the theory that if you put a black guy and a white guy and other guys on equal plane, that you can compete. 
And it's always been that, you know, that mission. Even though when you talk about Jack Johnson, Jack Johnson unintentional. Jack Johnson was on in another I mean, Jack Johnson was no was no race man in the sense that he was NAACP or Booker T. Washington or anything like that. But he fought for the idea of self-determination, being my own man. And, you know, if I want to marry somebody that's not, you know, of my race, then that's who I choose to do. In other words, the idea of self-determination, it's always been that kind of thing. It's, it's always been a situation where you got to an athlete and as a human being. We have Timothy from South, Brother Timothy from South Philly. Brother Tim, what's happening? Brother Tim? Ali, I said, uh, oh. I want to Go talk ahead. about Ali, but you mentioned Jack Johnson. I just want to say, Jack Johnson was light years ahead of his time. I mean, yeah. stuff that he did during his time, matter of fact, it took them to talk to Joe Lewis because we don't want another Jack Johnson around. You know, <laughs> Joe Lewis had to, turn, had, to make, they had to make sure that Joe Lewis was groomed to not uh, oversee the boundaries of society because Jack Johnson broke every rule that a, that a black man w- w- couldn't do. And I look at Jack Johnson, I kind of looked at Paul Robinson, too, but they were both six-foot and big men and talented in their art and craft. But I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Muhammad Ali, and I want to say that people have to realize that Muhammad Ali got what he wanted, and he, he deserved He was like a turtle who stuck his neck out. He was able to bring it back in before they would cut it off. But I'm going to say that right. I was like I didn't, I didn't see the Holmes fight. I didn't want to see the whole. I didn't want to see the Eastern fast. I still, I, I still don't want to see that fight. I've not seen that fight myself. You're right. But, I don't want to see that fight. I, I never. I, the Eastern assassin would bow down to Ali. He was known as the gym rat. See, he would go to different gyms in order to get where he had to go. And he sparred with Ali's sparring partner. And and, and right. Holmes really. I didn't. I Holmes didn't really want to take him out like that, but I was going to say this to you about no. Muhammad Ali and all of his greatness, that what happened to him that all men should understand is that when you're in relationships and you go through a divorce and you go to the judge and the judge said you have to pay her what you've been given her while you were married, that's why Ali kept fighting. He had those children, he had those wives, and, and, mm. and when they would come around him, he, Michael Jackson too, they gave Michael Jackson was anything he wanted. But my point is, is that Ali and all of himself, who would turn Ali down? Now, I'm not saying that he was justifiable for making a mistake to you. Okay? He should be like anybody right. else who makes a mistake. But I was going to also exactly. say that but he dominated the whole time he was in the ring. He totally dominated what he did. Now, he said he was the greatest of all times heavyweight. Now, I, I would go with Ali with that, but... It wasn't totally proven because he, he said all the heavyweights he would he be he would be Jack Johnson he would be Jack Dempsey with the Dempsey role. See, that's why we go to the pound to pound. Yeah, I would give that to right. Ray Robinson. He proved it. Two hundred fights. Hank Henry mm-hmm. Armstrong, right? And I might yeah. even put Roberto Duran in that. We had one hundred nineteen fights to Sugar Ray's two hundred fights. But Ali, to me, he didn't fight all those fighters. But I believe that Ali could have beaten him. But he was the greatest. Yeah. I thought heavyweight of all time. But I, I thought that Ali fought the best. He fought the best fighters of his era. And I still I say the that. guy that was a baby of his existence was Joe Frazier. Frazier knew Frazier arguably could have won all three of those fights. But, you know, you're right. I, I consider Ali to be one of the greatest, the greatest heavyweight of all time simply because he fought. I mean, he fought in an era where you had some. Great fighters who, if you put Ken Norton in another era, era or Joe Frazier or George Foreman, those guys and those guys are still create are still considered the best of the best. They're still great fighters, and you know, but Ali beat all those guys too. He beat he beat them all, even and even now, even the ones who beat him. Now here's the other thing. The other thing about that, and you and I could arguably take a position on that. If he wouldn't have been stripped of his title for three years. I don't think, now personally, I love Frazier and Ali fight. I can see it all night, all three of them. But I don't think Frazier would have beat him that first fight if he would have never been stripped of his title. I, I don't think so either. And I think that 
one of the things you saw because they they ESPN showed the first fight on television uh, recently. One of the things that I saw that really Ali didn't have the kind Ali could not move for fifteen rounds or could not move. If you watch film, and I, I've seen a lot of Ali footage in my lifetime, Ali did not move in the same way. He had he had to become flat-footed. And even that jab, that jab when Ali was, was before he got stripped of his titles, that jab was lightning. Frazier could never have caught him in, at that point, although I don't think Frazier could have taken all those blood. It's amazing, which is why I, I also have to lionize Frazier for taking all those left jabs. An ordinary fighter would not have, you know, you know, because remember in that first fight, Frazier probably spent more time in the hospital than Ali and almost died of another condition. But, you know, it was just how how because I was watching how does Frazier taking Ali had this, him and him and Larry Holmes had the best left jabs ever. In the sport, and I and I and even and maybe Sugar Ray Robinson, you know, in his prime, especially when he was a welterweight and and the middle and and his younger days before I think he got old in the late fifties. But I think that Ali, <clears throat> I think that yeah, you're right. I mean, Tim, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. That layoff took took some steam out took some steam out of his career, and yet Ali still fought well That's after right. that. I got, so I got one more position that I might kick in there though. I would say this with you. In studying Ali's fight, and I and when I, I saw Dundee, he would every fighter that Ali fought, they would study them. You know what I'm saying? And you you got you got to remember, uh, Tooney, Dean Tooney was the one to do film. And guess who else always looked at fighters on film? Smelling. That's how he beat Jack Johnson the first time. And when Jack, I mean, I mean, that's how he beat uh, Joe Lewis the first Joe time. Joe Lewis. Because, that's right. Because because what uh, Jack Johnson was to do, he wanted to train. Uh, Joe Lewis for smelling, but guess what? When he, he trained smell, he, he ended up training smelling. Right, right, exactly. Now let me get to my point. The only way I thought Frazier would have beat Ali and, and, and never been retired, I learned something from Dundee. Dundee said there were three fighters that was throwing Ali off because of their movement, their jerky movement. That was Henry Cooper. Who I remember him, Henry Cooper right? knocked Ali down right? in a fight. Right, and guess who mm-hmm. else? Norton. Kenny Norton, and guess, yep. And guess who else? Joe Frazier. If Ali would have had, had a bad day, and which Ali did have bad days, Joe Frazier might have died because of that. Right. See, it was so Ali's rhythm all. Ali could pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Ali would telegraph your movements if he knew he had you. But he didn't. Right. But something about Joe Frazier was that, that Bob and we, the Dempsey roll, mm-hmm. hook, jab, and once he had Joe, they hit you with that hook. See, that was the thing that threw him off. Ali was used to coming at forward. Uh, uh, Joe Frazier mm. had that jerky movement and that hook, that left hook that came from his hip and knocked you down on your butt. Yeah, sure. It could have happened. Right. And the thing about it, though, and Frazier, Frazier asked a question out of one of those fights. I think it was the first fight. He says, like, what's holding this guy? Because <clears throat> I seen Frazier throw that hook. And right. it, it would take, it takes, it took a lot of guys out. Okay, and right. so, but Ali, Ali, and I think what made Ali the greatest was that he could absorb punishment. It also destroyed the, the rest of his life. <clears throat> but the thing is that Ali could take a punch. Ali was brilliant at taking a punch. I mean, Ali, Ali was just was just like, you know, I, I mean, and Ali, you know, <clears throat> that that fight against Foreman. I mean, Ali was the master of the psych. I think the sight game and Ali was smart and even Frazier and a lot because even I think Frazier had Ali in the first fight hurt in the 11th round. Ali was just like Ali really was like, you know, almost in semi la la land. And but but Frazier could have finished him off. But it was just like and Frazier even said it, you know, a man's dangerous when he's hurt. And it's true. And it's true in boxing. You know that when a guy gets hurt. You know, you know, a lot of times when and he fights out of desperation, he might catch you. And Frazier had to, Ernie Shavers, I thought, near the end of Ali's career. I thought Ernie right. Shavers had Ali almost dead to rights. And, you know, but, you know, he thought Ali was faking. Ali really was hurt, from what I understand. And so Ali was the master of the sight game. He was just a master at just, you know, 
fooling people and fooling you into believing he was hurt, and that was then that too to be dangerous. So Ali to me, yeah, Ali is one of the all time greats in the sport. I I, I gotta say he's the greatest of all time. I'll say this before I go, if you let me, if you don't mind. I, I say one person who was hurt, who taught Ali a lesson about being hurt, was when when um when uh Ray Robinson fought Randy Turpin. I think the second time, Randy Turpin mm-hmm. cutting, right? And and Ray Robinson said they had they had made up their mind in their corner when they were going to try to take him out, but Randy Turpin cut him before that round came about. Ray Robinson was hurt over his eye. He after he got cut. He hit Randy Turpin, and he said, if I don't take him out now with his blood, they're going to stop it. He picked Randy Turpin up, and he turned a jab into a hook. Nothing. See, that, that, see, Ali, you couldn't tell Ali and Sugar Ray Robbins what to do. They knew what to do. That's the difference between mm-hmm. Joe Lewis. You had to tell Joe Lewis some things. I'm not taking anything from Joe Lewis, without a doubt. But Ali, right. like he said, he was a heavyweight Sugar Ray Robbins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So Always a pleasure, well- my brother. All right, Tim, thanks for the call. Indeed. Interesting point. Thank you. Interesting point there that he makes about boxing. You know, I was going to throw Marvin Hagler in there because remember in the greatest three rounds in the history of the sport, y'all remember, I'll let me, Marvin Hagler, good Lord, marvelous Marvin Hagler and Tommy Hearns. I mean, Hearns hurt uh, Hagler that first round, blade him up. And they were about to, uh, folks was about to take him out. I mean, they, they looked, the doctor looked at Hagler's eye. And all of a sudden, Hagler basically turned it on. I mean, same thing, Ray Leonard, although I remembered Angela Dundee, you're blowing it, son. I mean, guys, great fighters like that know when they got to go and take somebody out. Joe Lewis, Billy Kahn. Billy Kahn's win the fight. And basically, Joe Lewis, because it came up, you can run, but you can't hide, and knocked out Billy Kahn. Okay, so that's that's boxing. Okay, we got Clyde from South Philly. Clyde, what's happening, my man? Hey, Chris, how you doing, man? Always, thanks for taking my I'm, call. You and doing that super producer back there, Dave, man. Oh, yeah. No, no, no doubt. Yeah, Fritzy's my man. Um... This, this Holyfield and, and Tyson thing, man, I, you know, one thing i noticed over the years is, like, why are they always putting our Greeks against one another past their time? Why are they doing that? All about well, Greek, they, man. What, they they, they fought when they, they, they did fight what? before, though. They did fight in, in their prime. But go on, I'm sorry. All right, but what I'm saying, they passed their prime. Come on, Chris. They passed their prime. They I agree. They're in 60, man. You're going to get these people hurt all for the sake of a dollar. That, You know, that attention and that money is a dangerous drug right now, man. It really yeah, is. Ask Donald, Donald Trump that. You know, we're going to open up the country I mean, when this virus is going on. And don't care about, but you're going, but, but your point, your point is well taken. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, your point is well taken. I mean, you know, I guess for $50 million, for millions of dollars, somebody said, Chris, you want to go in the ring? All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. But, you know, I better live. I better have some I better have some semblance of my brains left. I better be I better, I better be able to remember, you know, you know, basic things in life and everything. But for a million dollars, I see. And and I guess that's 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 the world we live in, because we also have a president. Because who's also paycheck driven, who doesn't care uh, people's health well, I, for money. I I'm not. I, I, I can't. I can't even. I can't even fathom my mouth to even talk about that guy in the White House. I don't even get into it. Yeah, I'm, I, talking I, about I, us, I'm talking about us right now. I mean, it, it's like, and I, yeah, I mean, I, even even the Jordan and and the LeBron thing is like they always putting us against us. It, it, it reminds me of slavery time. You know what I mean? Get that buck over there. He's going to fight this buck over here. It's like, come on, man. I, 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 just, I right. just don't get it. But to go go back into, like, social issues, do we do we question white, white athletes why they do social, you know, comment on social issues? No. It's always us. No. It's always us. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the first ones was Jack Johnson. You know, like um, like you mentioned and a caller mentioned, he was one of the first ones. He like, look, I'm gonna beat you. I'm gonna beat you up, and I'm gonna take your woman. 
I mean, that's what I'm gonna do tonight. I'm gonna beat you up. I'm gonna beat. I'm gonna beat you up. And I'm gonna take your woman's away. And then they couldn't do really no, do nothing with him. So I mean, right. I, I don't know. You know, as far as the documentary, as far as Jordan and, and speaking out, we don't know what some of these athletes are doing. You know, and I'm not in defense of either one of them. I mean, I like what LeBron is doing and all like that there. But you know, it, it reminds me of that fight when. When Meriwether and uh, Dad Judas fighting, you had that belay, and they asked him a question. He's right. like, "I wasn't going over there and f up my money. Money driven, man. It's like we didn't, we didn't. Ah, uh, it's just something, Chris. It's just the, the power of making up money. Great. I'm sorry. Right. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you this question. Great. Recently, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady uh-huh. basically signed on to the fat. Yeah, I was saying Tom Brady signed on to um, the whole thing with the Players Coalition condemning the death of Ahmad Murray and everything. Does it make a difference that a white guy joined the cause with the black guy? Do you, would you say that? Uh, and, I know if he, he's standing on his convictions. I mean, other white, I mean, other white athletes have done this, but we don't, it's not to his caliber, I guess. So, I mean, if he's going to do it, fine. If it's, if it's to get you know, brownie points within our community, I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, at least he, he's making an attempt when some other ones have it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I, can't I, can't, really I, I got you, that, Clyde. Chris, you know what I mean? I can't really gauge that because we don't know what's in the background. I mean, I'm always watching right. the background with everything. So we don't know what's in the background. You know, it's like, do we want to remain relevant, you know, within the sports circles? Like, going to Tampa Bay and things of that mm-hmm. nature. It's like people want to be relevant. You know, attention and attention and money is a, a serious drug right now. It's a serious you have drug. A good point. I mean, it's look at, no, look at social media. You know, I, I, I'm looking the other day, I said, you know, attention is a drug. You know, um, if you don't believe it, look at the post that you just put up. It's all about you. You know, it's all about you. And I mean, that's good when you're trying to promote yourself and stuff like that there as far as you know, Ali was probably one of the best at it, you know, promoting himself. And um, even to go back, you know, which I was talking about as far as Ali and Holmes, I mean, the fight shouldn't have took place. Shouldn't have took place at all. That right. rule of money right. and of attention, you know, is, is, is a heck of a drug. I mean, I liken it, you know, and I, and I always like this football player, and I, I believe he's underrated, you know what I mean, is Barry Sanders. You know, even Jim Brown, yeah. like, yo, man, y'all want me to do this. Uh, nah, I'm out. I'm out. I ain't worried about your money. Let me do what I got to do. I'm leaving. You know, uh, I, I can't make all the money in the world. And they went on about their business. So, I mean, you know, yeah, that's just my that's opinion, true. Chris. You know, that's just my no opinion. No problem. You know? no, no, Clyde, I appreciate you. But thank you for Clyde. I got, I got, now I got to go to break. But I definitely appreciate I appreciate your insight on that. And um it is some it is something to think about that. And that's something okay when we um when we come back. Okay, we uh, when we come back we'll have we'll bring in Joe from Germantown and um and anybody else who wants to call in. Y'all know the numbers. Two one five six three four um two three four um zero eight zero eight six five. Wow, I almost had a senior moment there. We'll be right back. Listen to the Chris Murray Report, WURD Radio, ninety six point one FM, nine hundred AM. Listen to us live on W. URDRadio.com. We'll be right back. Pennsylvania was forged for the common good. Hard work, calloused hands, big thinking. Every Pennsylvanian is a bit different, but in this way, we're all the same. We are not afraid of a challenge. The coronavirus is just another moment where we must come together to protect our home. The fuller we embrace social distancing, the fewer Pennsylvanians will be lost. Stay home to stay safe. Stay home to protect Pennsylvania. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars. Temple University's School of Pharmacy is making hand sanitizer to support local hospitals and doctor's offices. We are looking for donations of spray bottles to store our upcoming batches. If you have any you would like to donate, please bring or mail them to Temple University's School of Pharmacy, care of Dr. David Lee Bow, 3307 North Broad Street, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19140. Visit temple.edu to learn more about how Temple University is helping Philadelphia during COVID-19. Wordradio.com You're listening to Word Radio, 96.1 FM, 
Okay, I was about I was about to get into my little my little rap thing, but nah, man, you know that's um that's interesting. Um, we talk about the whole thing about black athletes. Some black athletes would rather not get involved, but over the years we have seen that somehow we have been involved, whether we wanted to be involved or not. Nineteen thirty six, Jesse Owens goes to Berlin after uh, Adolf Hitler is talking about Aryan, white Aryan superiority, and then goes in, wins four gold medals, and then, you know, silences that situation. And yet, he was also, but then again, you know, you know um, Jesse Owens was also, was also used by the AAU and others, you know, for his talents. Didn't get paid. Matter of fact, he left a track tour in um, Europe shortly after that Olympics to go home because he couldn't, he didn't want to, didn't want to run anymore. I mean, he had to make money. He was married. And of course, he got blackballed. He never ran track and field. He never participated in another track and field event again behind that. And so, from that standpoint, you know, this, the, the you know, the, the plight of the black athlete, I mean, the plight of our people has been played out through that drama of, of black black athletes being on the on the world stage between Joe Lewis. Even though, like I said again, it's a funny thing in those situations. They were Americans out of convenience. I mean, in other words, because they were the United States, they represented how the quote unquote the freedom of America of, of America. The the, 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 the the enrichment of democracy in America. And so you know that's you know those guys were in that sense used, but they couldn't get they couldn't they couldn't get a job. They couldn't get you know they couldn't get on getting to some clubs without going around the back. Joe from Germantown, sorry, a little, I'm a little delayed to bring you in. So Joe, what's happening? What's going? What's on your mind today, brother? Good morning, brother Chris and, and brother Dave. How y'all doing this morning? Ah, we're doing great. Doing great. Our praise, our praise be to Allah. Let, let me let me say this, brother Chris, first. They had Jesse Owens uh, running racehorses, man. If the man won four gold medals, representing this racist country, they had him racing horses for a living. I mean, come on, man. Let me make this. Let me say this, brother. You know, I heard you and Brother Clyde and, and Brother Tillman. Y'all brothers made some good points. You know, because see that. Before I talk about that, but let me say about the boxing. You're right, Chris. And before I talk about the, the social media and the, and the black athletes. That Hagler Hearn fight, I'll never forget, I was over at my friend Ryan's house. The guy, rest his soul, Ryan, you know, got killed in a tragic car accident. He lived out there by Temple. Me and a whole bunch of us was over at Ryan's house took back in 85 for that fight. And like you said, Chris, I watched many of boxing matches from every weight class, and that was the, the that was the greatest three rounds, brutal, most three brutal three rounds in boxing history. There's no question about that, Chris. You are absolutely right, bro. You are absolutely right. Hell of a fight, man. You know? And, um... You know, when you talk about, Brother Chris, about the uh, black athletes and black, and not just black athletes, but black entertainers, how they perceive the double standard. I was telling your colleague at the station, Charles Ellison, the other day, and I saw I saw some, some of the last night, they threw, this, they threw this thing on decades every night on the cable channel about Hollywood entertainers and singers of the past, like the Marilyn Monroe's, the, mm-hmm. the Dean Martins, you know, people like that, the Frank Sinatra's, and they did a thing on Elvis. Now, see, see how white people think how they guard their people. Now, we all know how Elvis Presley died, drug addicted, puffy, bloated, died on the bathroom floor with his pants around his ankles, but they didn't talk about it. When they said he died of a heart attack, Chris, they they they, they put 
put it out there like he died of a random heart attack, like he was like his nice man, like your milkman down the corner, Mr. Edwards. He, you know, he died of a heart attack. He ate 67 years old. He died of a heart That's how they did Elvis. They didn't tumble his back. They made sure they, to them, they want the world to know, in spite of how he died, he's the king. You know what I mean? We're not going to put that out there that he was a drug. They, they put that imagery out there. But yeah, when they come to Whitney Houston, oh, every time they come to Whitney, oh, she died like her daughter in a bathtub with drug paraphernalia around her and stuff like that. And, and they impressed my brother Chris, and they did the same thing last night with the, the late actress, Lana Turner. Now, anybody know when we were back in 58? Because my mother and them, they lived through that time. Her daughter was allegedly stabbed her boyfriend to death. But people believe that she did it. But they knew her daughter could get away with it because she wouldn't be charged as a juvenile. So they believe that she killed mm. this guy, Gotti Stapanato, and her daughter. But again, when they did the whole thing on land last night, they didn't bring up that thing whatsoever. You know what I mean, Chris? You understand what I'm going with this, Chris? Yeah, I see the double standard. I mean, yes. you know, black people tend to get... You know, they tend to be a little bit harder with that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, and I can even understand. And I'm going to go back to right. something that 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 a lot of people, I got a lot of huge arguments with. Right. I can understand why some people, even though I disagreed with it, why people got really upset about people mentioning what happened in Kobe's life, that, you know, mm -hmm. that, that incident that happened in Colorado. I'm not mad at the reporter for bringing, but I understand the the, the anger right. of it because I think right. that a lot of times our imagery, our images are are attacked on a regular hey, basis. Hey, I, I understand hey, the other side of that. I know I know you press with time. Let me say this: this to show you again a double standard. Tom Brady and both Larry Bird both had children at a wedlock. But the media don't emphasize that. But some of the black athletes have a baby out of wear like it's a big deal. I mean, think about this. Two of the most iconic white athletes on athletes, period, Tom Brady and Barry Bird, both had children out of wear, had sons out of wear like. Nobody brings that up. But let a black man do it. It's, it's just front page news. They have the illegitimate children. They yeah. in terms they come out. But they don't say that about Brady. And, 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 and lastly, Brother Chris, another, again, another double standard. When, when, um, when, 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 when white guys have family problems like black people, Aaron Rodgers comes from a dysfunctional family, but they don't talk about that. You know, his him and his mother and brother and father, now they don't have been on speaking terms for years. But yet when it comes to Dez Bryant, well, you know, Dez Bryant's mother, she was a druggie or she was a loose woman at one time. You know what I mean? They said, dude, what, what they got to do with Dez Bryant? I mean, look, his mother, thank God his mother did get her life together, praise God. But what I'm saying, Brother Chris, what do they have to do? Why are you going to bring that up in this stuff about Dez? Like, like, he, like he controlled what, it, what kind of life his mother lived. But you don't say that about Aaron Rodgers and this dysfunctional family. You know what I mean? But you, you put this stain on yeah, I know. I I understand the double standard a lot. I mean, I really do. I mean, there is there is a double standard when it comes down to mentioning those things. Like, I thought it was disgusting that one of the clowns was a kid out of Clemson or someone the kid who got drafted this year. I can't remember. And they mentioned that his mother was a former drug user or something like that. His mother had issues. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what in the hell does that have to do with this guy, exactly. you know, who's been drafted? And 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 and, and, I, and, and I do see that. Stopped. I, 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 I see that. They do this all the time. That, like, white people don't have right. Like, white families don't have drug addicts in their families. I mean, come on with this stuff, man. But like I said, because I promise you I won't monopolize your time. And I know you have other callers, but I just want to thank you for letting me hear my piece, Chris. Because like everybody else, I just get tired of the racist double, and I get tired of the black people keep, keep buying it. We, we sometimes buy to our own destruction. We feed right into it with the white man and got right. our people the same way they do. But they don't do that to Elvis and Lana turning them. They make sure they preserve their icons and stuff, man. So thank you, Chris. I'm out. No problem. Okay. We got Michael from North Philadelphia. Thank you for the call, Joe. Michael? Hey, brother Chris. How you doing, man? Hi. I'm doing great, so, man. So, so the, um, this whole draft thing for uh, the black coaches, um, yeah, that, that's kind of, uh, it, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, the fact that Deuce Daly uh, got passed over again for the opposite, the coordinator's job. Um, it really pissed me off. I, I really kind of like uh, Doug Peterson up to that point, man. Um, that, that that showed me something about their organization, man. 
Uh, Zeus is, like you said, done a phenomenal job there. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's just sad commentary. Him, Eric, the enemy, and I'm quite sure there's a, a, a number of other uh, intelligent brothers that have been together. Um, and it, 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 it's, a, it's a very sad commentary. So uh, I want to thank you, number one, for um, bringing that point to the to the forefront for, for us that do support um, the, uh, the different uh, athletic uh, games. Um, we, we have to be conscious about um, what we're supporting. But uh, yeah. I, I support... I, support can, 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 can. Yeah. Can I say something here real quick? I don't mean to interrupt you, but here's here's the thing. You know, going back to the coaches, see, I understand the NFL is trying to give all these incentives, and especially to a system that really doesn't hire black people because of systemic racism. It really thing, and I know maybe I'll maybe I'll get in trouble with some of my fellow journalism colleagues. You know, the Associated Sports uh, Editors um, had some kind of thing where. You had to, it was like a contest or something where you had to write some essay or something like that to special uh, minority training program for sports editors. And my thing was, and I, I and I, and for, for purpose closure, I participated in that. And I was told, yeah, you know, I had all the requisite qualifications, but, you know, some young kid wrote a better essay than, uh, you know, Okay, congratulations to the kid. But you know, my thinking was, I'm a veteran. I was, I'm a veteran reporter, sports reporter. I, okay, and I shouldn't have to go through those that kind of of hoop, you know, to 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 get a job to get them, to, you know, to to do their jobs and whatnot. I mean, the thing is, is that no coach, no coach should have to. I mean, they now they got dream of these incentives for, for teams to hire coaches. If you're, you know, my, my thing is if you want to win, but if you're so, you're so caught up in this prejudice, this whole idea, because part of systemic racism basically is pre, you know, pre-assumes that you can't do this job. And even though, you know, I listen to guys like Ed Reed and, and, and Ray Lewis and talk about the strategy of the game. And these guys study. You mean to tell me guys like a Ed Reed? You mean to tell me that some of these guys, even and I'm not even talking. Those are super stuff. I'm not even, even talking about. So sometimes, you know, guys who 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 ride the bench, guys who who are second stringers, they have to study the game a little bit more, okay, than other guys. You mean to tell me? And a lot of black guys that I watch in sports know the game. They know the game. And, and and they're intelligent enough to motivate guys and coach people. And the thing is, you, it, but but you got to have an incentive. You got to have an incentive. And this is the same thing. I go back to sports editors. You know, I know a lot of people in the, in, 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 in journal in, in, as sports writers. I have a lot of friends, and and, and that includes people like John Mitchell, Daryl Bell. That includes a lot of people in this in this city. Who are who are who are who are who are reporters? And you need to tell me you can't find editing positions. People like that. People who've been in the business. My 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 my, my old mentor who worked who worked at the Philadelphia Inquirer for a long time. My mentor Mike Bruton, smartest, the best, the best editor, one of the best editors I ever had uh, as as a journalist. You mean to tell me some guy like that he can't read and, and he could run a, a good sports newsroom? Okay. There's a lot of guys out there, but yet they have to concoct some special program. The same thing in the NFL. All these, all these intelligent minds who know the game, the Jerry, all those guys who know the game, who think the game, and you, t- and you're trying. You cannot tell me that these guys are not qualified as coaches. You can't tell me that. And that's the that's the kind of uh, uh, passion, and anger that I have. When I look at this this whole thing, is that never mind that a lot of these coaches have the experience. Byron Leftwich, 
who coach who who coaches down at, at at Tampa Bay. That guy should be a coach, can be yep. a, a a coordinator and a coach in this league. Okay, I mean, I, th- I think he's the uh, I think he's the, I think he's the offensive coordinator with, with uh, Tampa Bay, or he's a quarterbacks coach. But the thing is, but the thing is, is that there's always this this the standard. Now I gotta get ready. I've I've got to. I've got to get ready to go to break, Michael. Thank you for the call, thank but you. but 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 the thing is, but the thing is, that's what we're that's what we're lifting. I mean, you you know, I understand. Yes, they want to have incentive. They want to have special programs. I get it, but there are a lot of people. You know, a lot of people in these situations. I say the same thing for sports talk radio. Yeah, they're there. They're qualified. 